Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief of Modern Retail. This week, we have Liz Solomon-Dwyer. She's the founder and CEO of King David Tacos. We're going to talk about all things taco. I know that King David, well, A, you're based where I'm based, which is Brooklyn, and, you know, Brooklyn Pride, all that stuff. But then also, just like, I know that you've been doing a real push into retail and doing a few kind of exciting new things going beyond the shops that you have. And so I want to talk about how you've been approaching that, how you think of growth, all those different things. But Liz, thank you so much for joining. How are you doing? For sure. I'm good. Just hanging in there, I think, <laughs> like everyone else. So tell me about yourself. So what what's what's your story? How did you get into the taco business? So um, I guess I should start with that I'm from Austin, Texas, which is a, a good way to start uh, for anyone getting into the taco business. Um, I, yeah, grew up in Austin. Um, I wouldn't say I had, you know, grand plans or dreams to get into the food business necessarily. Um, but it all kind of came together through my experience in New York, um, which started with working in the advertising industry for about 10 years. Um, during that time, my dad, uh, whose name was David, uh, hence the company name, which we can get into later, I'm sure, uh, encouraged me to start not encouraged me, basically just, you know, offhand one day said, you should start a breakfast taco stand in Times Square, which I thought was an absurd idea. And was more imagining like, you know, me being a sabrette man or coffee guy who I'd come to love, you know, I coming to New York, that was a new thing, the mobile vendors. Um, but, uh, I said, that's crazy. But he was like, you know, it's just weird that they're not there. And it seems like so perfect for the New York morning. And, um, he at the time told me he would, I just remember he said, I'll give you the capital. And I was like, I really, I have no idea what capital means. And I just kind of brushed it off. <laughs> um, and I also don't think now looking back, I'm like, I don't think he would have, I don't think he had the capital that I would have needed to do what I'm doing. Um, but regardless, it kind of stuck with me and it planted the seed. Um, and I continued to work in the ad industry and um, just really, it became obvious to me how much of a gap in the market there was for a better grab and go breakfast, whether it was for like catering for my, you know, many advertising client meetings or for myself on the way to work, trying to figure out what to eat that was exciting, but also nutritious, um, but delicious and convenient and also wasn't going to like, you know, make a mess at my desk or whatever was happening. So um, because I of my experience with breakfast tacos in Austin and then understanding the New York morning uh, more and more the longer I lived here, um, I uh, decided to take the leap and try to, to make it happen. Um, and that's kind of the short, short version of that story. <laughs> All right. So what was a, what year is this? When, when did you first take this leap and B, what was, was the concept that you were just going to sort of glom onto, you know, the, the, the morning carts, the, the coffee carts, the, you know, the bagel carts, all that stuff. Yeah. I, um, it was 25th end of 2015 is when I, when I left advertising and, um, the plan was, <laughs> the plan was get a plan together very quickly because <laughs> it was not something that I like, you know, planned for years to leave. It was kind of an in the moment, um, decision. There were a lot of things happening personally, um, and professionally that just made it like, this is kind of a, a time to make the leap or not ever. Um, a lot of it, um, 
you know, had to do with my dad's illness and just feeling like, you know, there's no time like the present kind of thing. Um, so because of that, I, I, because I didn't have, uh, didn't have the capital, um, that was promised. Um, I, (laughs) I, uh, started as a catering company that was never the long-term plan. That was just out of efficiency. It was like, you know, spend money, pay, pay labor, buy, goods when I knew I had an order, um, in the pipeline, but the plan was to then go into uh, small footprint retail or, and, or other people's small footprint retail. Um, how that ended up kind of forming was in the carts because I quickly did the math and realized that, you know, real estate in New York wasn't something that I even would know how to take on. And then, um, the numbers just didn't work with like a breakfast focused business. Like how are you going to get enough traffic and have the right location and not pay so much and have a $4 item, you know, how, how do you make all of that work together? So carts, um, gave us the real estate, uh, and the time sensitivity that we were, that made it, made the numbers work basically for us. So, um, that was always kind of like, it wasn't the way we went to market, but it was the, okay, once we can figure out we make and make a breakfast taco and people want a breakfast taco, here's how we're going to do it. Cause that would allow us to build a brand in the more traditional like restaurant, um, sense. So when you did have the taco, I guess the, you know, minimal viable product or, you know, wh- whatever you want to yeah. call it, where, what, how, how many, how many carts did you have at first? How did you choose locations? Was it dependent on word of mouth sort of, how did you build that? I, Um, initial brand building. Let me, let me start there. Um, I mean, we had to build the brand before even the carts. I knew a lot of this was me looking at like ways that Tex-Mex had been attempted and failed. And a lot of this was also wanting to make sure that I was building a business and a company and a brand that had longevity and that had purpose and meaning and, and was authentic, which I think is like a little bit of a trap of a word, but authentic to me. Um, and, um, so the brand had to be, I feel like part of the reason that breakfast tacos had struggled to take hold here was because everything was like all Texas. It's going to be like Texas themed, Southern themed. It's like themey, themey, gimmick, gimmick. And so I was like, we can't be a gimmick. Can't be, um, you know, the caricature of what people think Texas is. Um, and also I just was very, I, very much believe that New York just didn't, doesn't care enough about Texas to be like, yes, this is an idea that we can like get behind. Like we want to, they want to have a New York morning. So my, the brand was always going to be named in honor of my dad. Um, it, it's meant to be a little bit tongue in cheek. I think it really incorporates my New York experience, the New York experience of being, you know, Jewish blending of cultures, uh, my experience in Texas. So King David tacos just made sense to me. It's a, the name I always had. And then our, our mascot, you know, the Taco Dillo is a nod to Texas, but also just cute enough and, and weird enough to, to work with the whole scene. So my, 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 I think like from the brand perspective, I just, I always was like, and I worked in branding previously, I, it needed to fit in, in New York and beyond. And it needed to feel like not something that was going to be a flash in the pan. So from the colors to the way we talked about ourselves to our tone of voice, it was meant to be serious, but lighthearted at the same time. Um, and 
I don't know, just a little bit quirky and um, all the kind of mixtures of, of what makes New York unique. It's definitely unique, I think. Um, so built the brand, did all of that, you know, before we launched the carts. But then when it came to the carts, um, to be honest, I mean, I had my eye, I mapped out the city. Let me back up. The carts, you can only get through either restricted permits or unrestricted permits. And basically the unrestricted permits are impossible to get. Um, they're trying to change that now. I'm still unclear on what's happening, but like the restricted permits were through the parks department. I was like, okay, I can do that. So I went and like basically kind of triangulated all the green spots on the map that were parks department property and reached out to the parks department and said, here's this list of locations that I would like to put a cart. Like, do you have um, uh, concessions available? And through a winding road, I was, you know, passed around to a bunch of people, but was made aware of two RFPs coming up, one in Prospect Park, one in Financial District. And I was like, perfect. Those happened to work. It was honestly just coincidental. Um, and I uh, proposed on both locations and won both locations and launched them within like a month and a half of each other. Um, I was just going to start with two carts and see what happened from there. We ended up with a third in Madison Square Park um, because when that RFP came up, um, I was like, you know, symbolically, I must be the next Shake Shack. So I want to be in the Shake Shack park, you know? So I said, let me just, I have, you know, a template for what we do. I have all this experience. I can put this together real quick. And if we win, I don't have to take it. And if we don't win, I won't be upset. And then we won. And I was like, well, we have to take it. So, so <laughs> that's, um, how we ended up with three, three carts. And that was nice because it moved us up, you know, up to closer to midtown Manhattan, um, but we still kind of kept our operations below 42nd street as our operations were centralized in Brooklyn. So got it. And this was 2016. That was 2017. So we did catering for 2016 and then I launched the carts in 20 in late 2017, September and November. Got it. And then Madison square got park it. was in 2019. Got it. Okay. And so when you, so when you finally launched the carts, what was your end plan? What did you see the company being? Did you think it was just going to be three carts and you would go from there? Did you see yourself being more, you know, expanding into retail? Sort of how did you think about what your growth was going to be back then? It's an interesting question because, it, you know, I did run into people along the way who, you know, were, pretend, were interested in investing and they wanted us to open 100 carts. And I said that was impossible. <laughs> I said it was not possible because in New York City, um, because of the regulatory restrictions and also just from a logistics perspective would be a nightmare. So um, the carts are great. There has to be specific like use cases for the carts and specific pieces of real estate and, and traffic patterns that work for the carts. But like as a way to grow your business, I was like, hell no. So I, um, always the next step after the carts was, that was a lot about brand building, um, getting us to be like face to face with the customers and that would help us get into other people's, um, retail. So the wholesale program or the retail partner program where we're in other people's cafes and coffee shops was always the way that I envisioned being able to scale the business. Um, in terms of our own retail, I wanted to add a quote unquote brick and mortar, um, definitely along the way, because I knew that in order to service hundreds of, um, hundreds of, uh, 
retail partners, I was going to need more distribution. And if I was taking a lease out somewhere to produce tacos or distribute tacos, I might as well just put a little storefront in front. I know all I need is like minimal equipment and a point of sale to, to sell you hundreds of tacos. So why not? Um, so that's kind of how I envisioned it, whether it's in New York or other cities is strategic distribution points. Um, and then large, like the high volume would be through other people's existing retail. Got it. And so when did you start going beyond the carts themselves and how did you, how did you plot that rollout? Um, plot is such an interesting term. (laughs) I mean, I did, it all, (laughs) it all was very planned, but you know, you always, best laid plans, you know, right. It's, you think it's going to go one way and sometimes it does, most times it doesn't. But, um, I, let me think. I mean, two of our first customers were just kind of like, um, not, I wouldn't, maybe serendipitous. I don't know. It was like, you know, people we were connected with who reached out to us. We had, it was a couple of just like single location partners. Um, but I felt strongly again, like going back to how I built the brand is like, how, how do our tacos look inside someone's, um, coffee shop? Does the personality match? Like if you're in this like super austere, like all white, very clean, very like, you know, new age coffee shop. Do we work? Depends. There's like a fine line there. Um, so I had identified a couple of partners that I felt like, um, the vibe, which in 2017 or 18, like, I don't think we said vibe. Um, but (laughs) the vibe was right. The personality was right. The environment was right. Um, and I honestly like, oh, I thought that the best option would be local independent because they'd be more um, likely to try someone like me. And if they had at least a few locations so that I could, you know, kill a few birds with one stone. Um, so I reached out to a couple of those targets and just cold called, um, and got, um, a response from one of them. And then they are still our like longest standing, um, retail partner. Uh, so that was just a strategically partnering with people who also did not have their own food offering. Um, or something substantial. But yeah. Where was that? Um, Hungry Ghost Coffee. Oh, cool. Great coffee shop. Yeah. Great coffee shop. Great people. Great ownership. It's, um, it was very, that I would call serendipity. That was lucky even, not even serendipity. <laughs> that was lucky that I, that I met him first. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're, we're in all of their locations still. So talk to me about how you taught yourself how to do all this. If you're coming from advertising and then you're like, now I want to get into the the food food industry. You, you, you spent a year doing the catering. Was that pretty much where you, where you learned all of this? How, I'm just always interested when I feel like I talk with people like yeah. you and you're like, well, today today I decided to to start a restaurant. I'm like, how the hell did you do that? <laughs> I don't um, know. You have to be a certain so level So how did you do insane. that? Um, <laughs> uh, how did I go from advertising to food? Yeah, and how did you teach yourself? Like, when, yeah. what, what what were the things that were necessary in order to get yourself where you? Yeah, were I mean, a lot of trial and error for sure. And I and I say that you know, I always think about I'm like, could I have done this in an easier fashion um, than just learning on the job? And probably, but to just start, I mean, like in January, I left advertising December, started the LLC December. Like, I took my food protection course in January. It was, you know, just like checking off the boxes. I think like I definitely approached it from a very, some would call corporate standpoint. I was like, here's all the permits. Here's all the things. Like, let me just get all my ducks in a row and then I will launch a food business. I did all of that. 
And in April, I was like, I've never worked in a kitchen <laughs> or it was like March. I think I was in March. I was like, oh shit. And so I was like, I've got all my permits live. I'm certified, but I don't know how to do this in real life. So I had run into someone when I was doing some kind of market research, i.e. like talking to like, you know, different companies about what they order for catering and whatever I ran into the owner of the meat hook at, um, at, they were doing a, a catering at Etsy. And he was like, here's my number in case you ever need anything. And I was like, I don't know what I'll ever need. But then I was like, you know, a month later reached out to them and was like, I will do anything to just get, you know, behind the scenes because I was trying to get jobs in food, in food and no one was hiring me. Um, and they were like, sure. If you want to like do an internship at this new pop-up we're doing happened to be down the street from us. Actually it was at Bergen, which was one of our, was one of those first retail partners that we had. Um, and I worked with them and one of, um, their partners who basically taught me the ropes and were very nice and kind and helpful people and generous people. And that gave me like literally the baseline of what to do. And then I don't know, dude, I just, just kept working. (laughs) I launched, I (laughs) launched it. Uh, I did my recipe testing, um, at our shared kitchen and like learned how to use, the big, huge industrial equipment, um, just kind of immersed myself into it, asked a lot of questions. I'm sure I annoyed a lot of people. Um, and then sold our first taco in June. I got married somewhere in between there. Um, sold the first taco in June and just, I mean, it was me doing everything in the beginning, cooking, cleaning, delivering. So I got very intimate with the product in the process. How much would you say that brand building was, an important part of your growth in terms of, I feel like there are a lot of companies that are in food that pretty much formed a very specific cultural cachet, maybe on social media or something like that. And that is sort of how they were able to ride and get their retail partnerships. Is that how you would say it happened with King David or was it just that, you know, the carts worked, you were able to ink some partnerships and then grow from there? I think it's a combination. I mean, the brand was very important. I think our, our voice um, definitely lends itself and even just our level of customer service. Like we tend to be very transparent and honest and open with our customers. And we, I have relationships with customers from five, six years ago that still order catering. And it's like, they were just, I don't know how, how to describe that. We have very, we have very personal relationships with our customers. I think because partially because our brand is personal. And so I do think it, it played a role in it. I think people feel connected. I think they're not intimidated by our brand. It doesn't seem too like haughty or too like trendy. So they can easily connect with it, whether you're a parent with kids or you're a cool person in Brooklyn. Like, you know, it's and not that you can't be both. <laughs> I am a parent with kids. <laughs> maybe, I'm, maybe I'm cool too. Um, yeah, I think the brand building was important, but I think more than anything for us, it was the product and the um, scarcity of our product and the fact that no one else was doing or really is doing what we do like we do it as consistently as we do it. And so I feel like, yeah, I mean, the carts were definitely how we took off. Um, we had a few major inflection points with press, whether it was reviews or just coverage, um, that made it possible for us. 
but I think it just kind of was like a groundswell. I mean, everything, all of our, except for Hungry Ghost, everything has been inbound. Like all of our growth, our growth is organic and it's almost embarrassing because it's like, we've grown so much. And it's like, imagine if I had a salesperson, you know, so, um, which we're trying to do. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, the brand was like, was played a supporting role. And I think he, people find it lovable and that makes in the morning, I think is important. I think that's another distinction is like for the brand, something that you eat in the morning versus something you engage with, if you want to use the marketing that you engage with at night. Um, it's got to be different. You don't want to be accosted in the morning. You know, you don't want to be like super clever and like annoying in the morning. Like, you know, you want to just be real and like, give me what I need when I need it. But like, you know, make me happy. And that's, that's what we try to do. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So what is the overall retail footprint right now? Like how, how much have you grown since those first few years? Um, so we started our retail partner program in December, 2018. So technically like really 2019, right? Cause what is December? It's a nothing. <laughs> um, it's pre-January, it's January, which is really just like a, ugh, hate, hate all those months, <laughs> but for sales. Um, but, uh, so 2019, by the end, by March, 2020, we had 25 retail partner locations plus our three carts. So 28. And now we have, we obviously lost most of our retail partners um, during the pandemic, uh, whether they closed most, actually anyone who reopened restarted, but most people closed. Um, we are, are now in 85 retail partner locations um, and our two cart locations. So we've, you know, quadrupled almost, or I guess tripled, can't do math. Um, and plus our own brick and mortar retail that's in Prospect Heights um, that is in front of our production facility. That's a huge sort of scale up. So how do you, did you have to change a lot of things in order to retain quality while going into a retail presence? Because I feel like the difference, a cart is very different from being in 80 storefronts that go out every morning. So how, how have you approached that? Oh, <laughs> very intense training um, and intense, <laughs> intense attention to detail. Um, it's hard. Definitely. It goes from basically us, us handling all of our tacos to us handling our tacos and then handing them over to a babysitter, essentially. Um, and I'm trying to think of how to even describe how we've approached it. I mean, definitely cautiously. Um, like I said before, you know, there's trial and error. There's things, whether it's like monitoring the moisture content of our tacos and, and understanding why, you know, some, what something looks like on the other end of, you know, four hours and how to adjust that from creation of the taco. Um, it definitely, it definitely had us, we had to know kind of every scenario of our tacos and just have a very intimate knowledge of, of the science of the food. People often say that food is, I guess maybe do people often say this? Maybe I say it often. <laughs> so, so maybe, I don't know, food, it's, it's art and science, right? And actually food is like kind of mostly science. And then like, you know, you get to the, the art side of it can be beautiful as well. And that's what I think gets people excited. But at KDT, we like the science. No, it's, it is, it is a lot of taco science, taco science and taco math. And, um, 
And then the art of making people happy is really what it comes down to. So as we expanded to 80, it, it, it's not that exciting maybe, but it's exciting. It's like a lot of temperature control and things like that. So for our product, that's how we managed it. And it is just creating systems and processes that you can repeat the same way every single day because there's no reason to do them differently. And if you do, then it's going to kind of throw the whole system off kilter. Is there a rubric that you have for, for your retail partners? You mentioned earlier how you know, it, there's a type of coffee shop that it might work, might not. There's a fine line specifically in Brooklyn. But like, how do you figure out where it might sell through a place that might, you know, you have, you get the sense they might disrespect the product yes. or not disrespect the product, but, but like, how, how, how do you go about that? Um, it's, you know, it's hard because I definitely have run into to people who've reached out to us and I'm like, I don't think that this is going to be, a, you know, a good fit for you guys or for us. And to be honest, like we'll try things. I, we haven't, we haven't started with many places that I can count on like, you know, one hand, how many locations have had to start and then stop. But it's like, I kind of would know that it was going to be an issue and they would be like, no, we can make it work. We can make it work. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, I'll sell you the tacos. Um, but it, uh, you definitely for our products have to have I shouldn't say have to have, there's different ways to do it, but for the main way we distribute our tacos, a rush hour is important. So like places that have just kind of all day laissez-faire eating is not ideal for the way that we deliver our hot product. There are other ways to have KDT that, you know, you won't, um, you won't need to sell them all within four hours, but, um, but for our core business, um, that's important. And then definitely, I mean, with anything, I think it's just kind of basic. It's like, there has to be passion from the top. If the owners don't care, if the people don't care about it, um, then your employees aren't going to care. And we have stops in place to make sure that our employees who are in contact with them every single day, because we drop off every single day, um, just kind of check in and hopefully build a relationship, um, with those people. Um, but I think, again, it comes down to a, a personal connection or at least the semblance of a personal connection. It used to be me always training people. And now if it's not, it's not me training every single location. Like our drivers are the face of KDT and just like having people feel responsible for what, what we're dropping off is has been key to the success. Makes sense. Um, how does like you're correct me if I'm wrong, but you're in Whole Foods, yes. right? yes. So g- give some context about that, because Whole Foods is very different. At least in my opinion, it seems a little bit different than, you know, a Hungry Ghost. Oh, it is very different. <laughs> <laughs> so so what what was your vision with Whole Foods? Was that, were you always aiming to get there? Were there a lot of trials and tribulations with making it work in a Whole Foods environment? Um, yes. So it's interesting. The way Whole Foods came about, we actually approached them with a different um, model of doing the tacos. We thought we were going to, we wanted to do like traditional refrigerated grocery and frozen. And that still is something that we're pursuing. Um, but their, um, basically buyer for the Northeast region had had kind of a playbook for doing breakfast tacos that he was trying to, you know, make happen. And because of, because Whole Foods is different than anyone else, because of the things they require you to jump through and do to sell in their stores, it's not, there weren't many people who could execute against what he was thinking of. So we did our, we're doing our hot program there. And, um, that wasn't how I thought Whole Foods was going to do it. So to answer your question, yes, I always wanted Whole Foods, but I did not think we were going to do hot there. Um, so, um, 
it was, I was surprised when I went in with like a pitch on, on cold tacos, you know, getting sold in two packs and they were like, how about we put them on the hot bar? And I was like, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, and so we're doing, and it makes sense because I mean, the breakfast is pretty like pretty dire. (laughs) That's the whole point, right? Is that like you, what are you getting? Like a box of overcooked eggs and bacon. That's like chewy. That's sitting there. Um, a sad oatmeal, all of this, you know, your feel it's like the value isn't that high or can you get something that is all of those things in one prepared to, to be served the way it is like on a hot bar and, you know, hits all of the things you need. It's satisfying. It's nutritious. It's hot. It's fast. It's not, you know, you know, you feel like you get good value for your money and that's, that's the tacos. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, definitely new for them too. Cause I think that we're the first, maybe I wouldn't want to say the first, but I think we're the first, um, like brand other branded packaged good that is sold hot there. Well, so that's my question. That seems like the most unbranded spot you can possibly be at Whole Foods. Am I incorrect about no, that? You're correct. <laughs> so how, how are you approaching that? And are you hoping to expand into more hot bars? Are you hoping to make that get a foothold to being cold? What's your thought with that? Um, it's, I, I will be honest and say it, it is a challenge. It has been a challenge to get the right signage there and things like that. Um, people, people are smart and they find the tacos and they have found them, but I'd be lying if I said this is, you know, I think the program is currently the best it can be. Um, I don't think it's useful. I don't know if I can say this about the, <laughs> I'm like, I don't think it's useful to get them on this podcast and tell you like a bunch of things that aren't you know, that are just like up here, like nothing interesting, you know? So I think it's, it's been a challenge because it is an unbranded area and it's an up area that's kind of like overlooked. Um, I think we're trying to figure out ways to tie it in better to the flow of the store, whether that's putting in like in-store carts that are manned, um, or woman, um, and, uh, that can help give the brand a little bit of a presence because I think that if, if you want to actually talk about like big picture retail for us, you know, our cart locations sell hundreds, sometimes thousands of tacos a day. Okay. But like a retail partner is selling depends like dozens of tacos a day. The way you sell a lot of tacos is you become a destination. Um, and the reason that our tacos, even though, you know, you won't sell the same volume in a, in a cafe or like a retail or, you know, a coffee shop they, they're those cafes and coffee shops sell tacos and be, get all the repeat business because they're a destination for either your daily coffee and now hopefully your daily coffee and a well-rounded, you know, hot breakfast. So in Whole Foods in particular and in grocery stores in particular, the grocery stores that were really successful in were in their coffee bar. Um, and that's, a, again, it's a destination for breakfast. You have a place to go. It's not like a wander around and find something situation. So creating destination, a destination for the breakfast tacos in Whole Foods is definitely a current goal. Got it. Well, so, and you sort of hinted at this, but are you, are all of these, you know, tests and expansions playing out to a more national rollout? How are you thinking about that? Um, and sort of what's the, what's on the horizon in terms of that? With Whole Foods or with us in general? In general. 
I, yes, I mean, that's, that's the plan, right? I want to, there's a lot more room to grow in New York, even though you think you've seen everything. It's like, you forget how, how deep and dense New York is and how many more people there are to serve. Um, but beyond that, definitely going into, you know, New York, um, sorry, not New York and going into, uh, New Jersey and then DC, Connecticut, like surrounding areas, Philadelphia, finding ways that we can, expand our product into uh, retail partnerships there is what's next for us. And then eventually um, further west, I guess the only way to go is west. We're as far, we're as, far east as you can go, but um, is, is definitely what we're looking towards and figuring out a way to gear the product and how we distribute the product um, in order to do that effectively and be able to work with different size coffee shops and cafes um, that may run into challenges, you know, like quantities um, how to address that for them is is job number one right now. So do you see the future being predominantly in these these coffee shop like areas? Is that what has worked the best and that you see as like sort of an expansion vehicle or do you see it being any and all retail coffee shops, maybe a cart in Philadelphia as well? I definitely see the um, retail partnerships as the way to expand, whether that is on shelf, like in refrigerated um, in Whole Foods whether it's frozen in grocery or whether it's, you know, distributing a product to coffee shops that they can manage um, on location or at least give our product more shelf life um, so that we can execute this across the nation. I mean, there might be another commissary or another production facility needed on the West Coast. It's not to say that everything will always be produced in Brooklyn. Um, That's probably not going to be the most efficient way to do it, but um, Definitely partnering with other people is a way to get scale. I think we could have strategic points. Just you know, New York is a unique place um, in that you um, can have like you know one very successful high volume retail. I wouldn't say that we need a retail location in every city that we're ever in, like our own retail location. Makes sense. Um, We're just about out of time, but I wanted to just ask this year specifically, Mm -hmm. what are sort of What's the goal that you have? Or like, what are you focused predominantly on? Is it just inking more, you know, retail partners? Is it, you know, what are you thinking about? Um, This year is, is scaling with one of our um, current retail partners and and any other retail partners who are adding locations. So um, 2022 is definitely focused on, I would say doubling and we will be doubling our retail partner locations by the end of the year. Um, so, and what, what are the current ones that you're, that you're, that you're doubling with? Is this because you're working or here you, you answer. Yeah. 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 You're working. (laughs) So, I mean, Whole Foods obviously has a lot of room to grow, right? (laughs) We've got a few more locations there. Um, blank street coffee is, uh, one of our partners that, um, we are growing with, um, right now. Um, they obviously are looking to have, Um, I don't know, I guess I don't, there are a lot of locations I'll say by the end of the year and then, you know, over the next two years. Um, so we've been able to be plug and play for them. Um, Joe coffee obviously, uh, continues to grow, I think at a less rapid pace, but has, we've got more room to grow in that relationship. Um, and Stumptown and any of our other partners, um, there's more kind of multi-unit partners that we still, um, can start doing business with or can grow with. So that's, that's the focus for us this year. And then looking at 2023 would be establishing like additional distribution points so that we can reach a little bit further West into Jersey, et cetera. 
Got it. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask a little bit more just because I'm interested and I meant to talk about Blink yes. Street. Blink Street is fascinating. Yes. Because um, they're all c- mostly carts. Am I incorrect about that? Or they're like pretty, pretty mobile? They started as, they started of- as carts and then they, they expanded into small footprint retail, I think for the same reasons that we did not ever want to do like all carts. So how do you, when there are so many locations, how do you scale, as you said, you said, I think you said plug and play was what you described it as. Like, that is it just your delivery drivers go and give a small amount to each of those locations? Is there a centralized point? How are you how are you working with a company that is expanding so rapidly? <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> no. It's <laughs> uh, it's uh I don't know. I mean, I would say from our end, like we like I was saying before, our systems are pretty rigid and it's just kind of like we do this the same way every day. So you want to add 10 more locations tomorrow, that's fine. I can do the exact I can I can do it all over again 10 times. I just need to maybe add another driver. So um, we have logistic systems in place, um, even like software that that make it easy to scale. I mean, that was the whole, that's the whole plan. So, um, and the whole strategy is to create this plug and play wholesome breakfast option for coffee shops and cafes that are space limited, labor limited, or just like desire limited. Like who wants to take on making your own food product? That's hard. So um, for someone like Blank Street, it's, yeah, been very easy. You know, the croissant and bagel business, I guess, had this down for a while, but they their product is lacking in that it's a croissant or a bagel and it's not what people want, like nutritionally. And it can be um, pretty limited in, I guess, satisfaction profile. So, um, so yeah, I think that the way we work with them is, is just as fast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. (laughs) All right, Liz, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Yes, for sure. Thanks, Kale. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. 